following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. This is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are Ron and Ron Tomatoes and reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2004's The Butterfly Effect, directed by Eric Bress and Jay Mackey Gruber, starring Ashton Kutcher, Amy Smart, Eldon Henson, William Lee Scott, Melora Walters, Eric Stoltz, Ethan Supley, Logan Lerman, and Cameron Bright. The Butterfly Effect is a 2004 sci-fi psychological thriller film. This film currently holds a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? A young man struggling to get over disturbing memories from his childhood discovers that he is able to travel back in time and alter events in his past. However, every change he makes transforms his life and that of those around him, often to unexpected and disastrous consequences. Okay, The Butterfly Effect... What is your history with this? I saw this in the theaters, and I've seen it on TV four or five times, I'd say. I liked it when it came out. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, yeah, I saw this on television uh, a few years ago. I, I like this movie a lot. I saw this movie in the theater on a hot date. <laughs> how how hot? Lukewarm, tepid. <laughs> Nothing. I didn't get any of that night, I'll tell you that. If you had written that date down in your journal, would you reread it and go back? Oh, <laughs> try, to, try to change the date for the better. <laughs> I fantasize about that often. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so I saw this movie in the theaters. I liked it then, so let's see if it still holds up. Let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss these actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. First up, Mr. Ashton Kutcher. I thought that he did pretty good. I I think that he is a pretty competent actor. I really like him personality-wise, and I like the way... How do you think he looks? (laughs) He's grizzly, but he's got that boyish charm. Handsome. Debonair. Debonair. Beefcake. Beefcake. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say that as far as eye candy goes, Kutcher's top top, top of the heap. (laughs) Top of the list. (laughs) Check out that boy beef. (laughs) Don't ever shave ever again, Ashton. (laughs) Grizzly Adams. Yeah, he he was craving a shaven for sure, I thought. Yeah, I I saw your shaving hand twitching (laughs) this entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) You were trying to shave him on the screen there. Yeah, I was shadow shaving. (laughs) Practicing for what I would like shave. (laughs) I like Ashton Cook. He's usually uh, he usually does a, a pretty good job with the roles he's given. I've never had any issues with him as an actor. He does some questionable things with his personal life, like marrying women twice his age. But I think he's a really smart guy in general, and, and he, he did a good job with this role. You think he's smart, handsome, and he's a good actor? Yeah. It's amazing. Well, he's a great catch, Kevin. <laughs> okay, next up, Amy Smart. I didn't think that she was comparable to Ashton Kutcher's performance in this movie. There were certain line readings that she had, especially when she was a waitress in in one of the alternate timelines that I thought was pretty poor and that stood out for me. Other than that, it was pretty middle of the road. Yeah, she usually sticks out that she's acting in her roles. I'm not able to just fall into her character. I always, I'm always aware that that's Amy Smart up on the screen. Okay. This was no different. Yeah, all right. I didn't think she was bad, but I didn't think she was great either. I mean, she did what she was supposed to do. Okay, next up, Eric Stoltz, the proud papa. <laughs> what? <laughs> he was proud? <laughs> he was uh, extra creepy, which was what he was supposed to be, so job well done. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely uh, registering an 11 on the creepo meter. <laughs> okay, next up, 
Ethan Supley. He was good. I, I remember the first time I saw him was in Boy Meets World when he was one of the bullies. I'm glad to see that he's come quite away from that. He's getting a lot of work. I thought that his character was pretty cool. He was this gothic counterculture kind of character and I thought that he, he does a great job in pretty much everything he's in. My first experience with him was also on Boy Meets World as the bully with a heart of gold. He was a, a rough, poetic soul. He was a rough and tumble man on the outside, but he had a heart of gold. He really did. His father, the pro wrestler. Oh my God, I forgot about that episode. Wow, <laughs> you have an encyclopedic knowledge of Boy Meets World. Of course I do. I like this guy a lot, you know, so this Boy Meets World, I remember him from Mallrats. I was a big fan of My Name is Earl, so this guy is in my good graces big time. I like him a lot. And I thought he was good in this movie too. He has some funny stuff to say. He was a really interesting presence. He's a big guy. Yeah, he's huge in this. He's he's lost quite a bit of weight. Um, I mean, he is really tall, but he, he was also really large in this movie. I think now he's lost close to 100 pounds from when he was in this. So, I mean, maybe his presence-wise is different. Okay, and finally, let's talk about two of the kids here. And we have a very dark history with these <laughs> kids. Martin, you and I have a checkered past with Logan Lerman and Kevin. You have an unbelievably dark and checkered past. <laughs> very troubling past with Cameron Bright. So, let's start with Logan Lerman. Now, Martin, you may remember Logan Lerman as the titular gamer from the movie Gamer from episode 7 of this show. Gamer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you realize this, but episode seven doesn't exist. Episode seven is the lost episode to this podcast. Only the chosen few. Only the chosen few that, that were lucky enough to download it got in. Jeez, we went off the rails on that one, and we uploaded it, and there was quite a backlash. <laughs> yeah, so Logan Lerman, he was the gamer, and yeah, I, yeah. I liked him then. He's got this, like, uh, cocky attitude in Gamer, and uh, it comes off really, really well in that movie. And he's got, like, a really strong presence on film. And it's the same in this movie as well. Yeah, he was good, man. He was Ashton Kutcher Jr. 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 How did you think he did as a young Ashton Kutcher? He was definitely believable. He looked like he could grow into uh, Ashton Kutcher. And his behavior and his mannerisms were, were very similar as well. Kutcher-esque. Yeah, very much so. I was very impressed. Kutchery. Yeah, that's 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 actually probably the correct <laughs> pronunciation. Kutchery. Alright, and finally, I say the best for last. Oh. Cameron Bright. Whoo! Now, it's funny because I I'm going to give a little behind the scenes information here on the Yes That Bad podcast. We already recorded episode 50, okay? A long time ago. We already recorded it. And in that episode, Kevin made a wise crack about Cameron Bright. And I said, no one is going to know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and now we're watching Butterfly Effect, which we did not initially intend to watch. We initially intended to watch something else. And we just picked Butterfly Effect. And lo and behold, who should show up but our good friend Cameron Bright. Kevin, why don't you enlighten us? about who this guy is. Yeah, the star's really aligned here. <laughs> This guy, he, he is so amazing at, at just being there and having just the blankest stare <laughs> in the history of man. He could be dead as Queen's long lost son. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. My first run in with him oh, was, yeah. oh, X-Men The Last Stand. No way. That could not have been the first time. What was it before that then? Oh, we got, I'm looking this up. Who was he in The Last Stand? He was that, the kid. he was Leech. Yeah. Was he? Yeah. Oh my God. He's just... Even in that movie, he doesn't emote anything at all. He sucks emotion out of a room. <laughs> That's the first time I noticed him and his deadpan stare. Did you feel like you were looking into the eyes of like a great white shark, I, like I a felt, soulless I, being? I felt so cold. Oh, God. Oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go. So Cameron Bright, I'm looking at his uh, IMDb 
be here. My first encounter with him was in Birth. Did you ever see that? No. Oh, man, you should not see that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel bad mocking this kid now, but at the time, he was like the butt of a lot of jokes between our little group of friends because for whatever reason, like he just kept popping up in all the movies we were watching. Yeah. Like over and over again. Yeah, Cameron Bright. I'm, he brought this movie to the next level. I yeah, thought. he definitely did. He adds a star <laughs> to, to my rating. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. So let me discuss the brief history of the butterfly effect. The title is a reference to a short story by Ray Bradbury in which a group of people travel millions of years into the past and one of them unknowingly steps on and kills a butterfly which dramatically alters the future also known as a sound of thunder josh hartnett sean william scott and joshua jackson were each offered the role of evan ali larder was offered the role of kaylee but dropped out in early versions of the script the character of evan was originally titled chris treeborn when the t is moved over it becomes christ reborn (laughs) <laughs> this was changed to Evan Treeborn, which is a play on Event Reborn. Ashton Kutcher did extensive research on psychology, mental disorders, and chaos theory to prevent for his role in the film. Eldon Henson shot all the later normal scenes with his character first because he had to gain around 20 pounds in one month for the later timelines in which his character is crazy. He was to look bigger as Crazy Lenny and thinner as Normal Lenny. To the filmmaker's amazement, he accomplished this. The film won the Pegasus Audience Award at the Brussels International Fantastic Film Festival. And with not... <laughs> Fantastic in there. What are we going to name our film festival? Let's call it Fantastic. (laughs) That'll get them in the seats. (laughs) And was nominated for Best Science Fiction Film at the Saturn Awards and Choice Movie Thriller in the Teen Choice Awards. And I know how we feel about the Teen Choice Awards (laughs) right here. Please not reference Teen Choice Award or MTV Movie Award nominations or wins. Yeah, I know. They're worthless. The proposal, remember that? My favorite are the acceptance speeches for the MTV Music Awards. They were like, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah. All right. And you should just hear like a toilet flush the background. <laughs> Via satellite. Kid Rock. <laughs> okay. The film received a poor critical reception, but was nevertheless a commercial success. On a budget of only $13 million, it scored how much worldwide? I'm going to say $175. i am going to say $1. You're going with a dollar, eh? $1. So cheap. Man up. You know what? I'm going to bar you from competition. Oh, you're, dis- right. you're disqualified. Kevin wins by default. Woo! One hundred million. One hundred million bucks? Okay. Martin wins. Ninety-six million dollars. All right, the butterfly effect. Ashton Kutcher, he's in a mental institution, he's running around, he breaks into an office door, he grabs a film projector and he watches a home movie, and then the movie kicks off again with another flashback. It's like a flashback within a flashback. And we see Ashton Kutcher as a little kid. Thirteen years earlier. The mother was brought into the school, even though she was late for work. She works as a nurse, and she's brought in. The teacher shows her young Ashton Jr.'s picture. He apparently drew himself pretty good for someone who's, what is he, 10? I would say Picasso-esque. Picasso-esque. <laughs> it, was very, it was very cubist. It was. He brutally stabbed and murdered these two grown men and they were laying at his feet and that was his drawing for what he wanted to do when he grew up. His teacher was deeply disturbed. She was aghast. This starts Ashton's process of going through uh, therapy sessions which kickstart his journal writing. Yeah, the 
Throughout the course of this movie, young Ashton Jr., he keeps having blackouts. Like, he's in the middle of doing something, there's a flash of light, and then when he comes back, he's all disheveled, and he completely loses time of what's going on in between. I think this is actually a really cool setup for this movie. So, it starts off with this drawing thing, like, he doesn't remember drawing it, and then he goes into the kitchen, and then there's a flash, and when he comes back, he's got a knife in his hand, as if he was, like, going to kill somebody, but he doesn't remember picking it up. And then, eventually, he's just living his life normally, and then there's another flash, and when he wakes up, he's in the middle of a kitty porn photo shoot. Okay, so essentially they're in a kitty porn dungeon in the base. <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. Even no, the, no, the dad like... himself even calls it a dungeon. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, he says it's more like a dungeon downstairs. Let's go, guys. So the... by, by the way, this is what, what, five, ten minutes into the movie, yeah. and we're, we're already exploring child pornography? Oh, yeah. This is a hell of a movie. This is a record for our show, I think, right? <laughs> five five minutes in, we're already doing child pornography? Yeah, it usually takes an hour for the you, usually, kitty porn to usually kitty. takes an hour for the kitty porn to <laughs> Anyway, so he takes them downstairs, and his two friends, Tommy and his love interest, their father is not a good man, to say the least. He's abusive, he's a pedophile, he is a deviant in every way, shape, or form. Yeah, he's just a sick freak. Is he on deviant art? <laughs> yeah, he's got his own deviant art profile. <laughs> he's having his daughter and Ashton Jr. Jr. reenact a scene from Robin Hood, and the scene is after Robin Hood rescues Maid Marian. They have gotten married, and he tries to get them to reenact a sex scene, at which point he blacks out. I'm guessing some not-so-good sexually-themed events occur at that point. But he blacks out. That's that's the next blackout. When he comes to, we get a nice little shot of Cameron Bright up at the top of the stairs, slowly twisting and turning the head of a, of a doll, looking so menacingly down at these other kids. He looks like he's gonna be a serial killer. He's then, we cut back to the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist is going through things that could cause Ashton Jr. to have all these blackouts. One probable cause is stress. So he decides to try and have a meeting between his biological father and his mother and him together so that he can finally put this absentee father issue at rest because he thinks that that might be causing the blackouts. His father is in an insane asylum, right? For the violently mentally ill. Mm -hmm. They sedate his father, bring him in in what looks like a Hannibal Lecter-esque getup. <laughs> he has handcuffs that have leather bindings. His feet look like they're shackled. He's been sedated. They say that the father kind of had the same problem that Ashton is experiencing now, right? Yes. When he was younger. Mm -hmm. He brings him into the room, and then for whatever reason, we are treated to our next blackout, and we get the father choking him, trying to, I guess, kill him. Yeah, this movie really starts off with a bang. Like, this is all in like, the first 10-15 minutes. We get obscene artwork, child pornography, child assassination. Attempted, attempt. Attempt, attempt. Attempted child assassination. It's a hell of a movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's hot out of the gates. It's very entertaining so far. <laughs> 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 we then flash cut to six years later, and they're now, I guess, 16 or 17 years old. They're down in Ashton Jr., 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 Jr.'s mom's basement. Ever since that whole kitty porn situation, young Ashton Jr., he as a teenager, he's kind of smitten with young Amy Smart, who has this brother, older Kevin Bright. It's going to get so confusing. <laughs> Cameron Bright Sr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, brother and sister, 
sister, Ashton, is falling in love with the sister. The brother is not happy about this at all. And the brother has kind of grown up to be this psychotic serial killer in training. Like He's a dangerous man not to be trifled with. They open up a canister in the basement and they find what looks like a really large M80. And they say it's dynamite. They say it's like a quarter stick of dynamite, which is like an M80. Being teenagers, they get the great idea to take this quarter stick of dynamite and do something foolish. The yeah. harmless prank. Yeah, you know, they're a bunch of pranksters. We get a new character to introduce to the fold here, this chubby, tubby, roly-poly. <laughs> <laughs> little kid named Lenny who has severe asthma and he's he seems to be very timid and easily coerced Tepid, flaccid yeah that makes sense he's he's <laughs> he's very timid and he's very easily coerced and he seems to be bullied by the other the other kids yeah, he's limp so they <laughs> get the idea to take this M80 they go across the woods in their neighborhood to a different housing development and decide to put this stick of dynamite in a mailbox that's shaped like a house it's very meta right it's actually like the exact replica of the house it's in front of which I thought was pretty impressive. If you're going to destroy someone's mailbox, it's going to be that mailbox, right? That's yeah. One where the people that's are, be the are so arrogant. They, <laughs> my house is so beautiful. I need to make a miniature of it and make yeah, it a mailbox. They're going to make them pay for their hubris by putting this <laughs> M80 in there. Yeah, so they put the M80 into the mailbox and then all of a sudden there's a flash of light and when we come back, the kids are running through the woods like it's Vietnam. Like they're dragging <laughs> Letty. He's all limp and not moving. And He was hit by napalm. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't know what happened to him. And uh, young Ashton Jr., he's like, what the hell's going on? What happened? No, it's a pretty interesting scene. I, I like the way that they set this up. And I like the way that they set it up that we're viewing it from essentially Ashton Kutcher's character's perspective. We don't know what happened. Yeah, they did a good job with this because all the other kids refused to talk about what happened. Mm-hmm. So we're left in the, the dark. We don't know what exactly but happened. But the question is leading us in the direction that whatever happened is so horrible that it has traumatized this one kid severely. Yeah, this kid Lenny, he is destroyed emotionally, physically, psychologically, sexually. Every, in every, every, conceivable every, every conceivable facet of his life has been <laughs> totally crushed and demolished. He is no, he's just a mere shell of a human being now. And you can kind of guess what was going to happen there, but then when you actually find out, it's it's even more horrific than what you <laughs> would have thought. And you're like, oh man, yeah, that, that is why they were running so hard through the woods. That is why Lenny's so messed up. After the traumatic events in the woods, Lenny, who's like 12 or 13, 14, whatever, they confine him to a mental institution and today is the day that he's finally released. First day as a free man. Yes. So he makes his way back up to his room. All he wants to do is, is be make alone. paper and make plain models. That's all yeah. he wants to do. He just wants to make his models in peace. Just leave me alone. I got a lot to think about. <laughs> so Ashton Kutcher and the girl, they come up to his bedroom. They coerce him out and they're like, come out with us, Lenny. We need to hang out. And they go to the woods and they come upon a disturbing sight. Apparently, young Tommy has captured Ashton Jr. Junior's family dog tied it in a burlap sack that someone would put a cat in and throw over a bridge to drown it. Huh? <laughs> Do you speak from experience? It's <laughs> not what I would think of when I see that burlap sack. <laughs> When he I kill cat- my cats, only the finest burlap will do. <laughs> I kill them in silk sacks. <laughs> so he's captured Ashton Jr.'s family's dog and put it in a burlap sack and is soaking it in lighter fluid and trailing the lighter fluid away towards a... Open camp- flame. And, uh, yeah, a campfire that he's set up there with the implication set that he is going to burn this dog alive as a way to punish Ashton Jr.'s... 
Junior Junior for kissing. Trans, transgression of kissing his sister on the lips at a movie theater? It's a bit of an extreme reaction, but... Well, that, this isn't what the reaction is, though, right? The reaction is to what seeing him kiss her, the memories that that brought up from when they were children. That's what the reaction's to. Kevin, this is a cold-blooded killer. <laughs> I have no remorse for this kid. Yeah, Kevin, you had quite a reaction to this sequence. Well, I love dogs. It's weird. You can see people get killed in movies all the time. And I guess maybe I'm desensitized to it to some extent. But I, I love dogs. And when I see dogs about to be hurt or killed, it really upsets me. What do dogs do? What do they deserve to be hurt for? <laughs> they're, just, they're innocent. They're our best friend. I'll tell you this. <laughs> dogs, whenever you go home, they are always the happiest member of the family to see that you came home. Oh, yeah. Everybody else could be like, oh, great, whatever. So-and-so's home. But the dog's always like, yes. And like seeing eye dogs? Give me a break. That's like the best thing ever. Helper dogs? They're amazing. Way better than most people. Bomb squad dogs saving lives every day. Drug sniffing dogs? You can't sniff out drugs. Yeah, Joel, when's the last time you sniffed out drugs? Yeah. I'm sniffing drugs right now. (laughs) (laughs) Joel is is high on cocaine. Ashton Kutcher runs up to try to save his dog, but there's another flash. He blacks out, and when he wakes up, he's lying on the ground. He's in pain. Young Amy Smart's on the ground, bleeding. And Lenny is like... Just standing there staring at this burnt dog corpse. Yeah, the dog was burned alive. Again, remember, this is the day that Lenny's released from (laughs) the hospital. So he goes from one ultra-traumatic experience to another. Also take into account that Lenny, when we first meet him as he's coming out of this hospital, gives us a... You sentence blurb of what it was like there, and all he says is, I couldn't sleep because of the constant <laughs> screaming. <laughs> I was like, where are they to set them to hell? <laughs> this is a pretty dark movie, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is Ashton Kutcher's childhood, basically. There's all these traumatic events with these blackouts in between where he doesn't know what the hell is going on. Well, we cut to Ashton in college. He's, you know, average Joe Schmo. His, his roommate with Ethan Supley, who's this enormous goth guy. So we're about 30 minutes into the movie and we we're about to get our first time travel sequence. So Ashton picked up this girl at a bar. He takes her back to his dorm room. She is rooting around under his bed and she finds his journals and she starts reading them. And Ashton's like, whoa, 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 don't read that. And then she forces him to read some of the journals to him. He starts reciting the journals out loud and for reasons unknown, this sort of triggers something in his brain and it sends him back in time to the event that he was reading about. This is a kind of an interesting time travel method, wouldn't you think? I'm not even sure if it's like a true time travel because he's not actually going there himself physically. He's mentally occupying the person's mind. It's quantum leap. There. Yeah, this is yeah, quantum yeah. Leap. It's, it's essentially quantum leap, yeah. The effects that they use to show that he is going back in time are unique and I think that they look really cool. That like shaking effect where everything starts to vibrate and then kind of warp forward and then he's into who like whatever time period in his body. Yeah, the effect was pretty cool. And I think this kind of method of of time travel, quote unquote, is a good way of getting around having to explain a lot of technical stuff because there's no machine or anything that he's doing. It's it's all in his head. So it's It's the power. Yeah, you don't really need to explain it, which is, um, you know, you don't get hung up on any of the technicalities when you start thinking about it. One of the biggest problems with like time travel is let's say that I wanted to time travel back to yesterday to this exact point in space. That's kind of hard to do because the earth is always rotating 
rotating and moving. Mm-hmm. So that's like, how am I going to do that? I might end up in outer space or something if I travel back to this exact point where I am now. You you will end up in outer space. Yeah, or, or I'll hit a wall and explode or, or something like that. So this method of time travel kind of gets around that. Yeah. Yeah, so the first time travel sequence is Ashton Kutcher going back in time to when the dog is being burnt alive. All right, so he decides to reread all his journals and he goes back in time again and he wants to see what the hell happened at this mailbox incident. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty horrific. So he goes back and he's he's back as teenage Ashton. So he's watching and a SUV pulls up to the house and a mother comes out of the SUV holding her infant child. The mother's about to walk into the house with the baby, but then she turns around and starts walking to the mailbox and she walks over to there and just as they're opening the mailbox, the bomb goes off. This is quite an explosion. This is yeah. diehard-esque. Yeah, so this little baby was just killed, essentially, right? Yeah. They killed a baby. There's no two ways around it. Yeah, like, these little kids were implicit in the death of a I'm, I'm thinking that they might have killed the mother, too. Uh, yeah, that's a good possibility. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're running around through the woods. That's why they were scared. And this is what put Lenny into this, like, kind of comatose state, sent him into a hospital. Under- he's the one that put it in the mailbox, so he's going to feel responsible. Understandably. Yeah. Again, this is a really dark movie. Yeah, that's horrific. It's probably, like, the, the worst thing that could have happened. In order to lighten the mood, when we come back to the present, <laughs> we see big Ethan Supley having oral sex <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with a hot college Go <laughs> <laughs> Did he pull any punches? <laughs> <laughs> How'd you guys feel about this sort of uh, dichotomy there of infant death to cunnilingus? <laughs> um, you know, one hand washes the other. What? <laughs> one. one. <laughs> One life ends, another begins. <laughs> yeah, it's a circle of life. That's what the filmmakers are trying to get across. So at this point, now that he knows that this stuff actually happened, he remembers the pedophile event and decides to go back and confront Tom's sister. Yeah, he finds older Amy Smart working at a diner, this decrepit diner. Her life is in the dumps, and he goes out to her. And this is the first time he's seen her in years and years and years. Even after he promised that he'd come back for her. Yeah, he did. He didn't live up to his word. And he finds her and he confronts her about what happened that day in the basement when we were playing Peter Pan, Robin Hood, and we had tights on and clothes came off. She says, well, you know what? You never came back. And just because you didn't come back, it wasn't like life is going to end. You're going to bring this up now after all yeah. this time. Can you imagine and that? Like, you, you haven't seen you're this gonna bring, guy. You have, I haven't seen you in 10 years and you're going to bring up the most traumatic event in my life. <laughs> Something that ruined everything thing for me. My life is horrible now, and you're going to come back now in the middle of the night while it's raining? Yeah, just so you can feel better So you can yourself. feel better about yourself? It doesn't work that way. Sorry. She flips out, understandably again. I'm going to posit this right now. Is Ashton Kutcher being extremely selfish throughout the course of this movie? Yes. That's the whole point. He's doing things for himself to make his life better. He's using the excuse that he's trying to make everyone's life better, but I really think ultimately it's improving his life. I guess I'm going to defend him by saying anyone pretty much would do the same thing. So Ashton Cushion makes it his mission to kind of save this girl's life. So he starts going back in time to change things for the better. His next jump is to go back and stop Amy Smart's father from committing pedophilic acts, I guess. <laughs> Keep in mind that this is now adult Ashton Kutcher in, what, seven-year-old Ashton Kutcher's body? Yeah. And uh, he gives the father a piece of his mind. So I'd like, if I may, to present to you a dramatic reading. 
What time is it? It's time for you to do what I tell you to do. Wrong answer. This is the very moment of your reckoning. In the next 30 seconds, you're going to open one of two doors. The first door will forever traumatize your own flesh and blood. What's happening? How are you doing this? You'll change your daughter from a beautiful child into an empty shell whose only concept of trust was betrayed by her own sick pedophile father. Ultimately, it'll lead to her suicide. Nice work, Daddy. Who are you? Let's just say you're being closely watched, George. Your other option is... Is to treat Kaylee like, say, like a loving father treats his daughter. Sounds okay to you, Papa? Yes. Listen close, then. If you screw this up again, I'll flat-out castrate you. What you need to do is discipline your son, Tommy, because the kid is one sadistic pup. One last thing. Don't ever touch me again. I, I won't. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so this essentially is a huge change. So now the dad is no longer going to abuse the girl and he's going to discipline the boy. And when we come back to the future, Ashton Kutcher has become a frat boy. He wakes up in a sorority and he's dating Amy Smart. So mm-hmm. perfect scenario, right? Yeah. So Ashton wakes up in this new life and all these like memories start like showing up. Like we're showing this montage of, of what his life was like since he made the change. I actually like this idea because when this is happening, it's like painful to him. Like his nose starts bleeding. Yep. He's screaming. It's basically like a rush of 20 years of memories all at once. And the thing is, it's like that makes you believe that he now knows who he is, what his life is like now, that everything's changed and he knows what it is. Like he's lived it, but he still has his previous life's memories as well. He has all those previous memories and he doesn't seem to know who his friends are. He doesn't know where he is. It's it's really weird. I, I didn't understand what the point of that montage was. Does he, does he remember this new stuff or not? Clearly, he doesn't remember them, right? Yeah, so what was the point it of that It seems montage? that he has some information, though. Do you think those montages are even his memories? You think that's just like the time stream reshuffling itself? I think that's for our sake? To yes. show us what happens? Yeah. If that's the case, then why are they having all these PT scans that show his brain hemorrhaging and then having all these memories rewritten? Yeah, even I mean, in- he explains it himself. He says, like, yeah, my brain's hemorrhaging because I have 40 years of memories. Being rewritten in, like, 20 seconds. Yeah. He says it. Is that the first unraveling of this plot for you? Yeah. Okay, so it turns out that Amy Smart's brother, Cameron Bright Sr. Sr., he's still still here, he's still running around, and he's still a bad guy. He gets out of jail or something. He confronts Ashton Kutcher, beats him up with a lead pipe. Pretty brutal assault scene. But Ashton Kutcher gets the other upper hand, beats him up, but gets a little carried away with his beatings Uh and beats him to death. Take that, that's for burning my dog. And basically, Cameron Bright Sr. Sr. references the fact that he heard Ashton Jr. Jr. tell his father, you need to discipline your son because he's sick. And now he, he remembers that, so he, he comes back after him for that. Because Ashton Kutcher killed this guy, he is immediately sent to prison. Mm-hmm. There is no trial. No, none. He goes straight to federal penitentiary. <laughs> he went back in time and, like, wiped out the Constitution. So there's, there's, there's no need for trials. Yeah, yeah, there's no due process anymore. Yeah, so he's in prison, and it's the stereotypical prison. So this, this movie turns into a prison film, which I'm all for, because I love prison <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, he's targeted by neo-Nazis. He's going to have a rough go at the prison lifestyle. And he's got this new roommate who's this Hispanic guy who's really big into Jesus. And the only way that he can escape from this horrible prison lifestyle is to get his journals and go back in time, mm-hmm. right? So his mom visits him. He, she gives him one of the journals, but it's not enough. He needs more of them. 
him. But when he takes these back into prison, like he gets beat up by the Nazis and they, they take his journals from him. He needs them back desperately. So he concocts a zany scheme to get the journals back. I have a bit of an issue with this. Oh, okay. Why don't you discuss what he did? So Ashton luckily has the pages that where he discusses his day when he drew the picture and the teacher spoke with his mother about it. So he, he starts reading the pages and he goes back there. And when he's in the classroom, he finishes up his drawing of murdering two people. And he goes over <laughs> to the teacher's desk and says like, hey, teacher, look at this. And he takes his hands. And there's these two metal spikes on the table and he slams his hand down on them, basically puncturing his hands. And when he comes back to in the prison, he has the whole the scars for the holes in his hands. And he's, his fellow prisoner thinks it's a stigmata, that it's a sign from God. So that now his prison roommate's going to help him with whatever task he needs. I well, have a big problem with as, this. As do I, because this yeah. creates a logic loop. This, to me, this sequence is the movie discarding its own rules just for convenience sake of the story. Okay. For him to go back and draw this picture, this picture was the whole reason those journals exist. Yep. Okay, so for him to go back and occupy his body in that time period, why would he draw the picture in the first place? Yeah, there's no reason for him to draw those pictures. He should just point. stab his hand. Why wouldn't he be just drawing a nice smiley face picture because then he wouldn't write the journals which means that he has to think about it yeah yeah this is a causality loop this is a causality loop even, even if he didn't draw the pictures all that other bad stuff still would have happened it would have but he wouldn't have had any journals to reference and use as a method for time traveling yeah. which means that he wouldn't have gone back and had all those blank moments where he would black out mm-hmm. hmm. well my issue with this causality loop well, well here's my issue with this whole sequence so he stabs his hands and then he comes back in time and the inmate sees this like he sees the wounds appearing on him. That doesn't make any sense because he went back in time and he stabs his hand as a kid, which means he would always have the stigmatas on his hand. Like when he went to prison, they would have already have been there. Yeah, so that guy would have only had a memory of him having those scars. Exactly. It's as if like a time dilation bubble, like in Lost in Space, <laughs> went, went around <laughs> oh, this guy God. and it protected him from the time jump. Yeah, right, because no one else has any of the old memories. Exactly. So this, yeah, so this, this really, things unravel right here. The, what the hell? They just like completely discarded their own logic. Yeah. Piss poor thought went into performance. Making, yeah, piss poor perpetrated, perform, per, perpetrated by time traveling per- producers. <laughs> <laughs> Before this sequence of events, we had a we had a nice man on woman oral sex scene. This movie's not done yet. We need a man on man oral sex scene to round it We need it a off. man on man on man oral sex. Scene. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was multiple yep, men. There was multiple men. Yeah. So a- Ashton Kutcher's master plan is to go to the Nazis' cell, tell them that he's going to have oral sex with him and then his cellmate is going to rush in while this is going on and help him. Yeah, so Ashton Kutcher is about to get a hot beef injection when he pulls out a shank, stabs the guy in the penis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's let's take stock here. <laughs> Burned dog, mm-hmm. dead baby, mm-hmm. bloody Blown penis. Up. Blown up baby mother. Child pornography. Child pornography and penis stabbings. This movie is really... <laughs> this movie is like five for five, so far. It's batting a thousand. Yeah, the, the, all, everything I love in one movie. <laughs> it's that they made this just for me. <laughs> Some sick people that were behind this. I know. Like, when you really start, you think about it, this is a twisted movie. Yeah, it's really dark. And I did not think about it when I saw this back in 04, back when I was watching the Poor Express. 
<laughs> yeah, so the guy rushes in. Ashton Kutcher gets the notebook. He reads it and he goes back in time. He, one last ditch effort to save the day. He goes back to where his dog is about to be burned and he gives his friend Lenny, I guess, the equivalent of a metal shank from a car because where he has his dog tied up is kind of like in a junkyard. So he gives Lenny this metal shard, tells him to cut the sack loose so that the dog can escape and he goes over and starts talking to Tommy and telling him that he shouldn't burn his dog and he actually convinces him just by talking to stop yeah, doing I, it. I like that. He uses a little diplomacy and he saved the day. But yeah. unfortunately, uh, Lenny is pretty messed up. Instead of cutting the bag loose and uh, allowing the dog to escape, Tommy just lets the dog out on its own. Yeah, he turns it to Captain Stabbing and he starts stabbing <laughs> the, <laughs> he's, he's, he stabs Tommy to death. So, Mr. Bright <laughs> Cameron Bright Jr. Cameron Bright Jr. Cameron Bright Sr. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. no. This is Cameron the Bright. The listeners are going to be feel like they're time traveling. <laughs> now, this super messes up everybody <laughs> because Tommy is dead. You look back at Amy Smart's character and for whatever reason, the way Tommy hit her in the face this particular time split her face in half. Yeah, she becomes a mutilated freak and she becomes the world's greatest hooker, I think. <laughs> the world's greatest heroin addict slash hooker. It's yeah, impressive. She, she's unbelievable. She looks so skeezy when we see her in the future. Kevin? I don't think I've ever seen anyone look dirtier than she looked in that in those scenes. You get herpes just for like standing next to her, right? <laughs> It was unbelievable. <laughs> so Ashton Kutcher decides to do one last caper to save the day. So he goes back in time to the mailbox incident, mm -hmm. and he runs up to try to prevent the lady from blowing herself up. But things don't work out exactly as they should, because the mailbox explodes in his face, yep. and he gets blasted back. And when he comes back to the future, we get a pretty nice special effects scene. He's missing his arms and his legs. He is a quadriplegic, and his reaction to this is priceless. Yeah. Well, I bring this up again. Is Ashton Kutcher just being selfish? Yes. It actually turns out Ashton Kutcher having his arms blown off is the best available timeline so far yep. because everybody is better off because of it. But him. But him and his mother yeah. be because his mother became a chain smoking nicotine addict mm -hmm. and now she has lung cancer because of it. Ashton Kutcher's family is destroyed, but everybody else who he kept hurting by time jumping is perfect. What's really weird is like Ashton Kutcher can live a relatively acceptable life as a quadruple but his mother dying, I feel like, was just, like, thrown into the script to validate him going back. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes him look That's a really good selfish. point. That's a really good point. That was kind of a lazy screenwriting trick. It was, like, trick. really, like, lazy because they're like, well, we can't make him selfish. Let's just make his mom sick or something. Yeah. But no, but it really is selfish, isn't it? Because wouldn't this be the ultimate sacrifice if, if they really wanted him to be Christ reborn? You know, he just says... Listen, he's just event reborn in this movie. Yeah, he's in the event horizon. But why should his mother suffer? <laughs> His mother's old. She created the monster. Not only that, she did this to herself. She gave herself cancer. She didn't start. Like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Like smoking. Agreed. It wasn't like in the 90s, smoking is like some mysterious like yeah. addiction that they didn't know caused cancer. She should have turned to drink like a, a more rational person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she could be an alcoholic. <laughs> Wait, doesn't that mean she might become a werewolf? You're right. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> See Ben Helsing for that. Okay, so he jumps back in time, and this is when he's a little, little Super Ashton Jr. He's got to be like four years old in this scene. Yeah, so he decides that the best way to end this vicious cycle of pain and hate and death is to take himself out of the equation. So he goes up to young Amy Smart, and he says, Hey, kid, I hate you. I'm going to kill you and your whole family. And then the little girl cries and runs away, and they never become 
become friends. And because of this, she's able to go and live a happier life. She picks her mother to live with instead of her father because she initially decided to stay with her father because she was friends with little Ashton Jr. We get all these memories. Yeah, we, we get this, this montage of all these memories of, of other people. I still don't understand this whole montage of memory thing. Ashton, it's like he's seeing them but not seeing them at the same Whose time. Whose memories are they? I don't know. Yeah, so we, we are see they his? Like, he has no ability to understand or see any of these life I events. don't know. It's very confusing. Yeah, with Ashton gone, every other character in this movie lives a way better life yep. because of it without him. But th- doesn't this lead uh, credence to my theory that what we're seeing are not really memories? But don't you agree that it, the way it's, it's shown? They definitely look like memories. It makes it seem like it, it is. Fast yeah. forward to the future. Ashton is grown up. He is a psychiatrist and everybody else is a successful, grown up and adjusted individual. Everybody's life is great. They run across each other in the future, Ashton and uh, Amy Smart, yeah, one last time. And he, look- down the street. he looks back, he remembers her, but he just decides not to interact with her anymore because he would never want to damage her life. It's for the best. And that is his ultimate sacrifice. The end. Bittersweet. Christ has been reborn. Event reborn. Okay. But that's not the end of the tale. This movie has four alternate endings, the three of which are just slight variations of the same thing. But the fourth one that's, is that's, that's amazing. That, that's something. Kevin? Well, the, the fourth one that you're referring to is actually the one the filmmakers wanted. It was their ending. And instead of Ashton going back to the party and saying he doesn't want to be friends anymore, he instead goes back to when he was being born and he's a baby in the womb. <laughs> And he decides to take the umbilical cord and wrap it around his neck and hang himself. We hear like voiceovers, like the mother says that I had three other stillborns before you. And the implication there being is that every single time she had a baby, that baby in the future decided to go back in time and kill itself in the same way. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you guys think of the idea that the moral of the story here is the world would be a better place if you were never born? Isn't that a great way to cap off this? Yeah, movie about child pornography. It's really heavy. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, it's not like, like just you shouldn't have been born. I mean, it was, it was because you meddled, right? It's meddling no, with the it's past. Just, it's just you being born. That's the like fourth <laughs> ultimate ending is your existence is just bad for everyone. It's, it would be better if you just didn't exist. And yeah, that leaves a really dark taste in my mouth. Okay. So that's pretty much it. That's the butterfly effect. So let's see what the real critics have to say about this movie. At times, its awfulness becomes so awesome, it almost must be seen to be believed. Philip Wunsch, Dallas Morning News. Not one second of this bilge makes a lick of sense. Rex Reed, New York Observer. And finally, if you approach this movie in the right frame of mind, that is, with total contempt, you can still enjoy it as a comedy. Jack Matthews, New York Daily News. Okay, guys, this movie has a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? I don't think this movie is that bad. 33%, I think, is pretty harsh. I enjoy this movie. I find it entertaining every time I watch it. That being said, there are a lot of parts to it that are totally incoherent and make no sense. But I think it looks great. I like the effects. Ashton Kutcher's acting is good. I actually enjoy this movie. I find it entertaining. So I'm going to give it a solid three out of five. And I would recommend anybody that finds this type of sci-fi time travel movie interesting to check it out. If you love kitty porn, this is the film for you. Well, that goes without saying. (laughs) (laughs) You only see one movie about child pornography this year. This year. Make it this one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
For me, no, this movie's not that bad. I really like this movie. I give this movie a four to five. It's really entertaining. It's a time travel movie. I'm a little bit like droll. If it's time travel, I'm, I'm pretty much in from the start. It's, I like movies that you can sit around and, and talk about. Not just like, was someone good at acting or not? But like, has some real ideas that you can throw around. Like, that. that's fun to talk about. And any movie that can, can you know, lead to a, a better conversation like that definitely gets a bump up in the stars for me. As for me, is it really that bad? Nope, not at all. I like this movie a lot. Four out of five. Very fun movie. Very enjoyable. Very underrated, I think. Definitely check this movie out. If you like Cameron Bright? <laughs> check Apparently, it like, like Joel and Kevin uh, <laughs> have, an, have an undying love for Cameron we, we Bright. We have a, a sick fascination <laughs> with Cameron Bright. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I like this movie a lot. Definitely check it out. Four out of five. I, I would rank this up as one of the more enjoyable movies that we've watched. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the history of this show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I had a good time watching the movie. It, this movie held my attention the entire time. That hasn't happened in... Unlike, unlike some of the... In like six months. Yeah. yeah. But this is a nice uh, palate cleansing movie. Sorbet for the brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, next week is our 50th episode. I'm going to leave it a secret as to what movie we are going to watch for the 50th. So just tune in next week to find out what movie we chose to celebrate this momentous occasion. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Head on over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash bad. There you can download our bonus bonus in time episode and if you click the like button that'll help spread the word of the show to all your friends you can follow us on twitter at yeah it's bad you can follow martin at yeah it's martin and you can follow kevin at yeah it's kev you can also listen to the show on your non-iphone or android devices via stitcher at stitcher.com once again thanks for listening to the show see you next time below you must love you.